Thanks for joining us today on Shift Change. I'm the guy with a doctorate in leadership who spent a large portion of his adult life reading and studying what it takes to be a great leader. I've studied thought leaders, researchers, authors, presidents, four-star generals, CEOs, Olympic and professional athletes. And through all of this, one thing stands out. I'll never be the quarterback of a Super Bowl team, CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and I sure don't want to be the President of the United States. Yet looking back, these really aren't the people who shaped my leadership. It was the common individual who had figured out how to do uncommon things who really impacted me. Those are the people we will be talking to on this podcast. The individuals that can help all of us hone our skills and better ourselves. The person who is doing something great without all the flair and recognition. Our focus for this podcast is simple. The common leader doing the uncommon things. Hey, thanks for joining us today. I've got my uh, friend, Dr. Chris Pollock with us here, and he is the pastor at 8th Street Church of the Nazarene. And uh, Chris and I have been friends for a long, long time. One of the best uh, ministerial leaders I've ever encountered and does his job in engaging people and um, leading a congregation as well as anyone I know. And I wanted him to kind of come and talk with us today about his ability to lead through the power of influence. It's not a way that we often think of leadership, but in his role, uh, it really is to a large degree about your ability to influence a group of people and help move them in a path. And so I wanted him to talk to us about that. But Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, some of your background and how you got to this place and uh, a little bit of that, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Scott. It's a privilege to be with you. Uh, I, uh, I I was just a kid, went to college, didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, how many of us have stories like that, right? College, I finally uh, landed on some some uh, decision making in terms of my own personhood and, and what I would call my own call. Uh, after I, I was a I was a psychology major, but after uh, college, realized that I did not want to pursue counseling, folks. <laughs> That's hard work. <laughs> it just was not in my makeup. Yeah, it is. Shockingly, now I'm a pastor, which in some ways is the same sort of thing. But, but you're, uh, if you're pursue, like me. I always told yeah. people, hey. We'll talk for an hour, and then I'm sending you to somebody that can really fix the problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I can just be a non-anxious presence right here with you, and then I've got nothing else to offer. <laughs> I recognized pretty quick that that was about my level of education as well. So I uh, went to uh, Nazarene Theological Seminary in uh, Kansas City, uh, got a Master's of Divinity degree, and really my kind of pursuit was to be a, a lifelong youth worker. I just wanted to influence kids for the good, and the opportunity that I got was in local church ministry. Uh, served for a number of years uh, in Kansas City at a local church, and then was uh, was brought to um, Bethany, Oklahoma, where I served at a, at a college church. I got to serve at a, at, a, at a church that was next door to a university, so had some exposure to higher levels of thinking and education, and um, that was fun to watch practical life and ministry 
uh, intersect with, with, you know, intellectualism, academia and the academy. And uh, so I I ended up uh, doing a doctoral degree uh, at Fuller Theological Seminary, finished almost 10 years ago, which I can't believe. But the focus of my degree really was, uh, it was about work. I wanted to discover, uh, I, I, I wanted to think through how people discovered what they wanted to do for work and how they found that work was dignifying and meaningful. Uh, so many kids that I was working with, that I was working with, they would graduate, they would move through college and they they'd end up, you know, uh, they'd end up with enormous amounts of debt and having no kind of direction vocationally. Yeah. Uh, and so I was really, really interested in, in how economics and politics and education all played and community parenting all played into the makeup of a person that helped them determine what they were going to do as an adult and how they were going to make a life for themselves. So, um, you know, Scott, you, you know how this works. You've been in the Academy for a long time. (laughs) You do, you write a dissertation and you, you know, you, you end up with more questions than you have answers. You didn't actually answer anything (laughs) over the last 10 years. I've actually been in that pursuit. (laughs) I'm still I'm still thinking about those questions, questions of leadership, questions of workplace ethics, questions of, uh, uh, you know, how is it that I don't feel more than just a a widget in somebody else's machine? How do I contribute something to the world? And and so as I work with even a congregation and a group of people now, that's those are the questions that I'm that I'm wrestling with as I as I deal with people now who are, you know, quite a bit younger than me and are asking them those questions for themselves. Sure. Okay. So, but you, you pastor, um, a diverse congregation in a very diverse area and are in many ways, not leading in traditional settings, um, both through the church and even with your, um, own jobs and careers that you've started on the side and other things that you have going on. So tell me a little bit about um, where you're leading today and how all of that, how through all of that, you're making a difference. Yeah. So there are a couple of projects that I'm, that I'm involved with. And then there are a couple of reasons why I'm involved in those specific projects, or there's reasons why those projects and why those projects have been influenced. So one project that I'm currently working on right now, besides pastoring churches, we put together a, a nonprofit. We recognize that one in four people has a food insecurity issue in our area. Yeah. And uh, we just simply want to be really good neighbors. Um, when people ask me, why does your church exist? It, it, we say that it exists because we believe that life is better when we're neighbors, um, yeah. to know one another and to be able to be known by one another is uh, is a risky thing, but we think it's the best way to live in the world. So in knowing our neighbors, we recognize that there are these there are these issues. There are some that have too much. There are some that have too little. There are some that could share. And and so uh, we put together a nonprofit, which uh, is building a, an urban farm. Uh, kind of the, the thought behind this urban farm is uh, we want to nourish the underfed, transform the overfed and cherish the earth from which we are all fed. 
Awesome. Uh, and so um, we are doing that in partnership with a, a hospital that's next door to our church and uh, that we have a relationship with. And so that's one of the projects that I'm, I'm interested in. The other project is a for-profit that I've created uh, where I just like teaching people and I like helping them start new stuff. So uh, new endeavors, social enterprises, nonprofits. So I get to work with young leaders and help them put together kind of the infrastructure of being able to do that. The reasons that I do that um, is because um, the reason that I do that is because again, it, it's connected to this. Uh, it's connected to this idea that we believe that we're better when we're neighbors. So there is this philosophical kind of um, this this philosophy that leads me. And if philosophy leads me, then the way in which I approach leadership is I'm, I think we tell the truth about stuff. Yeah. I think we have real conversations within these real relationships. And sometimes the hardest thing that we hardest challenge that we have as leaders is to tell the truth. Sure. To tell the truth about the condition of uh, the place we're in, the condition of our city, uh, maybe our county, the issues that people are facing. Um, and so um, I, I, I think that one of the ways that I lead is by creating an environment of safety. Okay. By yeah. which people can really wrestle with the issues that are at hand. Um, because I'm a pastor, that means issues of doubt agnosticism, uh, human sexuality, gender, uh, racism, uh, politics. How can we cultivate uh, a safe enough place where people can talk about the real questions that they're dealing with? Sure. And so in being able to do so, that's, that's how I think that, that I lead best. I, I don't, I don't know if I know how to lead any other way. <laughs> so now that, that, kind of ties into the second question in many ways you've answered it but are there additional things that you would kind of add to your approach to leadership and you know has it changed at all so like in in which setting because i think different settings are different right yeah i guess you know for me i'm you know do, do you have a is your approach to leadership one where it's one of empowerment is it one of uh oh i get what you're saying yeah i mean how, how do you choose to lead recognize and does it change from place to place when you're talking about hey i've got this yeah. nonprofit i work with i've got this other uh career that i'm doing do those do yeah. do those areas of leadership change as you kind of move from spot to spot yeah so uh, you know, my own philosophy is sort of like uh, King Arthur on the Knights of the Round Table, you know, where there's there's an equal distribution of conversation about the way in which direction should go. You know, knights okay, put their yeah. swords down on the table and King Arthur takes his helmet or his, not his helmet, his crown off and lays it on the table as well. And and there is an attempt to find a way forward together. You know, the way that I think that we would talk about that now is how do we work in community towards a task in accomplishing yeah. a task? Okay. Well, what that means is that we have to have great clarification, right? We have to know the reasons why we're doing something. 
We need to know uh, what the plan is or what the roadmap is to do that, which means that we need to assess and have conversations about what the obstacles are. Sometimes the obstacles are people who are around the table. Sure. Right. Their own agenda, their own perspective. So in having real conversations and clarity about that, sometimes that means that there needs to be um, not in not a, um, a heavy handed fist where power is yielded, but a, a real conversation about are you on the are you on the team or not? Yeah. Uh, are, are you with us? Are you with where the group is going? Are you not with where the group is going? And let's talk about why or why, why, why you're not. So I think, again, there, there's got to be a reason or clarified vision for what you're doing, a roadmap. Uh, I, I think that the, the obstacles need to be clarified and so the team can work on it together. And then there needs to be a value system that the team agrees upon together. What are the things that we value above everything else? Because those values will give us the roadmap. I mean, they'll give us the guardrails to the roadmap. Sure. So that when somebody violates one of the values that everybody around the table has established, then there's clarity to go, hey, you, you did this, or maybe I violated them. Then there's accountability upwards, right? Yeah. So um, I think that there are, I think that's the way I try to lead. I try to lead with like creating clarity about what we're doing what the issues are, how we're going to accomplish the issues, what the values are of the organization or the ethos of the organization, and creating safety by which people can, can hold, hold one another accountable. One of the values that we have at the church is we keep our promises. Yeah. Keeping your promises is really significant. So whether it's on something small or whether it's on something huge, um, when I started the H3 Church, uh, almost uh, six, six years ago. Uh, churches have been in decline for a long time. It's a really bad time to start a church, right? Nobody <laughs> wants to come to church. It's terrible. Uh, I interviewed a woman who is unbelievably brilliant, a person of faith. She's worked everywhere from Sesame Street to Netflix to Google. And she would go to church and she would go to church after church after church Uh athletic and smart and successful, and she could not find a place to attend church. Huh. I said, tell me why that is the case. She said, churches, I've learned, churches do not keep their promises. Huh. And uh, I remember letting that embed within me. If, if this thing ever works, that is going to be one of the values that we hold. It's going to be our guardrails. We're going to keep our promises. So it's not just about power. I don't think it's about clarity. It's about making sure that everybody knows what's happening. Yeah, so, there is there is a sense where um, your uh, your decision to lead out of community really helps to bring all of that into focus. Uh, like you said, the accountability component, the clarity component the the keeping of the promise all those things yeah they they operate well within the framework of of community that, yeah that's a that's a good way to say that a very good way to say that which also then which also means that 
uh, it's not a utopian society and it's not, yeah. you know, just, uh, everything is wonderful here. I think the clarity, um, creates accountability. Yeah. Uh, working in community like that creates accountability. So then nobody should be, n- nobody should be surprised if they get fired. Right. Yeah, sure. You, you know what I mean? Like no, when, I... if the day would come, if the day would come when somebody needs to be let go, it is not because anybody has been surprised or manipulated or not been, you know, grace has not been extended or they've not been invited to work with the team or they've not been appreciated. It's, I'm just using this. One of our values is keeping our promises. We said that we were going to do this. We've asked you to do this. You've said that you were going to do this. We repeated, would you please do this? You said, yep, I messed up lots of rope has been extended, but eventually you go, man, your actual values, your, your cultural values are your actual values and vice versa. It's not, um, it's not just what your stated values are. So if, if you state that you're, you know, one of your values is that you keep your promises, but you don't keep your promises. That's not one of your cultural values. Yeah. So you can say, we violate our cultural values and the culture of this organization is more important than anything. Yeah. No, I tell, uh, I've, for years, I've told my employees in reviews, I've always said, um, when, when you do the annual or every six month, whichever way your organization chooses to do it, when you do that review, if there's going to be a problem, you should have known about the problem long before you ever got in the room. Right. So I always tell them, Hey, if you've not heard that there are problems, this is really going to be easy because if there's a problem, I would have talked to you long before we got to this review. <laughs> and right. so just, exactly just relax, right. rest. Let's just talk for a little bit and let's talk about the job you're doing and how well you're doing at it. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's very true. Don't you think, so, Scott, don't you think that there is a difference between failure and violation and what i mean by that is oh. you're welcome to fail here yeah 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 yeah. you yeah. can't violate import you can't violate the values here no you know what no, i mean that's true in fact um there are studies that would demonstrate that if you cannot give your employees the ability to fail then they'll never live into what they're capable of doing because every employee right. needs the opportunity and the space to fail uh, it's in that failure that we're often able to identify right. what we did wrong to ensure our success moving forward. And so, yeah, yeah. you're exactly right. You're spot on, spot on. Okay. So now I think one of the, I said earlier, as we started all this, one of the unique things about a pastor is that mm-hmm. uh, I think the best pastors figure out that there's really no opportunity to lead, lead through power. So, you know, you don't have is if you have a large if you have a large or small congregation, it's not like they're being paid to be there. <laughs> and so, yeah. You know, you've got to be able to lead through influence, not through power. So talk to me for a, a few moments how, in your view, leading through influence is different than leading through power. Yeah, my own personal philosophy has come from the fact that as a pastor, I have seen in the past so many pastors, not pastor, but actually act as politicians. 
Yeah, yeah. And yeah. what I mean by that is that they they give the people what they want to hear, even if it is not good for the people to hear it. So it's a fine line, right? You're exactly right that nobody stays because they get paid. To, you know, they're not employees. Yeah. Um, and there have been times when I've said things and people have said, I'm out, I'm out. The temptation then is always to become a caricature to, um, you know, we're in a masked uh, season right now, but I mean to wear a mask. Yeah, sure. And I don't mean just to hide behind something paper. I mean to make yourself something other than you're not. Yeah. And so my own personal philosophy, and I don't know anybody, and pastors can get wounded. Yeah. You know, our our friend Ed Robinson one, one time told me, uh, when he was a president of a university, he said, this is the loneliest I've ever been before. And leadership is lonely. You bet. Pastoring as leader and leader as pastor can be the same thing. And so um, the, the great temptation for me is to, is to become a caricature, is to become, uh, is to reveal only a portion of who I am. Yeah. And, and I just can't in good conscience and good faith do that. And I don't, th- I, I think that might work for me for a little bit in the short term, but I don't think that that gives me real longevity in terms of influence. Yeah. I actually think being more authentic does. So I try to talk about what our family does with money you know, when you give to the church, what, how is that being, how is that being used? Sure. We'll, we'll tell you. Yeah. You have questions about how budgets are worked. We'll, we'll tell you. We, it, we try to do it with a respectful open book policy. Yeah. Um, I have told my own congregation, I will speak to you and I will say things to you. I, I will tell you what I told my children. And that is, if you ask me a question, the, I will always tell you the truth. I will always tell you the truth every time. Sometimes the truth is it's none of your business. <laughs> I can't <laughs> that's what I say to my kids. Else. This is as far as it's going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I can tell you only up to this much. I cannot break confidences. Yeah. I cannot violate. I, I can violate promises again. I won't lie sure. for somebody. No. Um, so I, I, but I will tell you the truth. You can hold me fast to that. I will tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth is, uh, usually it's less than, uh, less than I want it to be, but sometimes the truth is I can't tell you that today. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've literally said that from behind the pulpit. Sure. Uh, the other thing that I do and, and, and I know you used to do this as well, but I I created a, like a group of people off my leadership team, off my board, and they know everything. Yeah. They know my salary. They yeah. know my budget. They know what's in my 403B. They know what my retirement is. I just tell them they know everything and they could destroy me with it if they yep. want. Yeah. Um, it's a handpicked group and it's a group that I trust. They're not all the same and they're not all my best friends. Yeah. Um, but they are, I think they're, they're a group of four people, three men and, and one woman. Uh, they're the question. They're the people that I ask questions about legal stuff too. Yep. But I, I'll tell them everything. I'll tell them what Holly makes. I'll yeah. tell them what our kids are going through. I, I will say to them, I'm going to die if you don't give me a vacation. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the group that I will talk to. So 
Yeah, you need those. I really have to trust them. Yeah, you need those kind of folks. You need that kind of group. I think at, at any level, in any kind of leader, even our friend Ed would have that everybody needs that no matter their their spot or their place. And Ed probably had it, but certainly needed it, you know. Yeah. I I think the thing that was always unique to me as a pastor was the very fact that to lead, you knew you needed to move a congregation in a certain direction, but right. it you had to move them through a a valid argument, you know. Yeah. And that's not to say that we argued. It is to say that I I it couldn't just make a decision. I had to actually have a legitimate reason for the decision and then demonstrate and right. communicate that decision. And sometimes there were elements of it that were not simply about this makes sense. It was the emotional connection for them as well. And so there was never a point in time where you got to say, we're doing this because I said so, or because I pay you, or because your salary depends upon it or anything. You simply had to lead through influence. It is a yeah. unique quality of any pastor who pastors well. And, and you do right. that well. You do that very well. Thank you. So, you, you know, it seems like a normal thing for pastors, but you, the way that you gain influence is by showing up. Yeah. Even when others won't show up for, for you. Yeah. So, you know, my treasurer, my treasurer was mad because we sent some people flowers. They, they lost a loved one. We sent them flowers and it was a nice bouquet. We probably spent too much money on it. We don't have any money at our church. He's like, what are you doing spending money on this? He said, you're spending money. You're spending more money on flowers than those people have given in the three years they've attended our church. And I said, you know what? You're exactly right. You were exactly right. But that's the work that we do. Yeah. We we care for the we care for the people who participate and are faithful financially. We're going to give the same amount of care for the people who don't. Yeah. We're going to care for mask wearers and non-mask wearers. We're going to care for vaccinated folks and non-vaccinated folks. We're going to care for, you know, gay, straight, black, white, Hispanic. You bet. Re Republicans, Democrats partially because it fits in that value system. We want to be good and useful neighbors. Yeah. And whether we're going to start with the being the good neighbor part, you don't have to qualify. Yeah. But I think that when you talk about pastor and influence, that is maybe the only thing that the pastor has. That's it. That's it. it, it our my friend Dan Vanderpool used to always say when I was a very young pastor and we talked about having to go to the hospital or the most difficult situations where someone had died and he would always tell me, you only get this opportunity once. You'll never have yeah. the same opportunity again. And if you do not take advantage of the opportunity, you'll lose your, your chance for influence. And yeah. um, so you have to do it. You're right. I mean that anyone who leads well um, understands the, the real impact of influence so okay so the, who the challenge for pastor i keep interrupting you sorry. no no you're good you're good you're good the challenge the key, for every the, pastor the challenge what? for the pastor and maybe every leader is to have the long range view right yeah that it's not you're not just looking for the immediate returns it's i'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do so yeah that's a good way to say it
So who who has influenced your leadership? Um, who's had the greatest influence over your leadership over the last over these years? Yeah, I've had so many really good leaders, and I have people that I still I still um, lean deeply into in terms of like pastoring. I mean, you've been a significant leader in my life. Uh, David Busick has Ed Robinson. We mentioned, um, uh, my good friend, Clary Kinsler, who's almost 90 years old. I call him and he has these just nuggets of wisdom and excitement. You, you know, he look at me and goes, Oh, Chris, if I was in my forties again, we would have (laughs) such a good time doing this together. He just has these brilliant sayings, you know, Vince Lombardi type sayings. I think the greatest influence, though, has been my dad in terms of leadership. Yeah. He ran big organizations and uh, just demonstrated it. Um, I grew up in a little town in Iowa where he ran a big factory. And uh, we moved there. I graduated from high school in 1995, you know, so long ago, 26 years ago. I was at a funeral back in my hometown again. We have not lived there in those 26 years. And I was at a funeral and I met a woman who worked for my dad. Oh, wow. She said, your dad is Mark Pollock. I worked at that place for 35 years. He's the best we've ever had. That's awesome. And she spent 20 minutes talking to me about how uh, it wasn't just, it wasn't about profits for him. It was about people. And he believed that if you did really good work for people and you serve people, then money will come. Yeah. Uh, And it did for him. And I'm really grateful. I've benefited that in my own life, you know, with the blessings he's given me. But uh, I'm still learning leadership skills from him now that he's retired. Um, He is Mr. Steady. Yeah, that says a lot. I I was talking with somebody the other day and we got talking about how in many cases, some of the leaders that we've known you, what you've learned from them is what you didn't want to do moving forward (laughs) where you said, Hey, if I ever get into that spot that I will not do that. And um, so to have someone like your dad that has been so close to you and demonstrated so very clearly what good leadership looks like is really a, that's a significant benefit. That doesn't always happen that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, very rarely. I, I realize that I'm blessed in that. So how has at least um, in the years that you've served as a pastor, how has leadership changed and where do you think it's headed in the days ahead? As a pastor, I think that we need to, uh, I think we need to be thinking about our systems in new ways. Um, I've come to the conclusion that maybe the first two important virtues in leadership are courage and imagination. Those two are, those two virtues, um, they, they have to be center stage for those who find themselves in influencing others. And when they look over their shoulder, there are people following after them and saying, which direction should we go? Courage and imagination work in tandem with one another. We have to have new yeah. minds in terms of the systems we're working in, um, whether that be in business, nonprofit, the social sector, the marketplace, uh, faith communities, whatever the case may be. Um, 
you know, we want to talk about tricks and tips and, you know, ways to, uh, you know, influence and other things like that. But I think it's, I think there's a G a more genuine, deeper human sort of, um, sort of quality and character that should be embedded within a leader. And those two would be it. We have to reimagine the way things are and it's going to take guts. Yeah. I mean, it's going to take real guts. The church, as it is, is not going to be as it is in 2035. Yeah, sure. We have to rethink that. Universities, they're not going to be as they are now in 2035. I mean, in less than 15 years from now. Businesses won't. The pandemic has had an impact on that. Uh, the, the economy has had an impact. Politics certainly has had an impact on that. So um, I've always been captured by the, the leaders that can seem to see that which nobody else can see and say, uh, this is the way, let's, let's go this direction. So I'm way into biographies and other things like that of leaders that, that seem to be able to see what, what is coming up. Yeah, that's um, awesome. So used they always, can point to it. I used to always tell the uh, folks that I, of the church in San Diego that when we run out of options is when we're really in trouble. Um, that as long as we have, we would sit there and talk about the problems we were having. We say, okay, now looky, but we've got options. Here are all the things we could do. Yeah. When we run out of those options, then we're really in trouble. Right now, we got a whole lot of choices we yeah. could make. It's just like you said, imagination. Yeah. And you know, figuring out creatively what other things we can do. And yeah, um, I, I you're exactly right. I think one of the greatest fears I see with a lot of leaders is that the only imagination they have is somehow to return back to what it used to be. Yeah. And that never works. They just, it does not work. <laughs> you can't go back. And so yeah. I, unless um, it was another day, like the time we're in right now, right? Like if you have a, a, a long range view of future, then you're set, you know, I mean, not set, but then you have a kind of a direction to go. Yeah. Also, if you do the same looking back. So how has the world dealt with a pandemic before? Yeah, sure. Let's not erase our future. So um, you're exactly right in some of the stuff that you were saying as you were as you were leading in terms of options. When it came to um, my my leadership team in March of 2020, we shut down with as everybody else did. Uh, I had to have a Zoom meeting with my leadership, and I wrote on a board so that the whole leadership could see. Yeah. Do not waste this pandemic. Yeah. How are we going to how are we going to make adjustments? Not just in terms of survival. This the goal is not to stay open. That's such a shallow goal. Yeah. The goal is to Short be term. the good and useful yeah. neighbors. Yeah. Right. So we got this new building. It's a small church building. It's one of the oldest ones in Oklahoma City. It's very small, but you know we just remodeled it. What are we going to do with this during the pandemic? Well. A woman was beaten up really bad by her husband, and he took the kids. She had no place to go, so now she gets to live there. Huh. Another another woman at another time, uh, her nephew uh, was at risk because of gang violence, and they were hunting him down. We provided oh, wow. sanctuary, and they stayed there for a week. Another woman, her son accidentally started their house on fire during not only 
the pandemic, but the ice storm. We were able to use it. We opened the church up for an internet cafe for people who couldn't work at home uh, because of one thing or another or couldn't go to work but needed to get out just for things like that. How how should you think about things differently? Um, So, you know, if you can't use your building, that doesn't mean you can't use your building. We let other churches start new churches because we offered our building and our equipment so they could start their online church. You know, how do we think, how, how has it happened in the past where a pandemic wasn't wasted and people got real care, which is what our goal was. Sure. And then how do we think about doing that now in the future? That's cool, Chris. Courage and imagination. Yep. No, obviously both of those are not easy things, but are things that are very much needed for any leader, young or old. And no matter, you know, if you've been doing it for years or just a brief period of time. Well, buddy, we're kind of out of time here. And I, I um, deeply fun you sharing your insights and your wisdom with us. Uh, As I said, when we started, I am, uh, you are one of the very best pastors I know. And so I am blessed to thank you. To get to watch your work and fortunate to get to call you friend. But uh, I appreciate yeah, what you're thank doing. Thank you very much. You as well. So you uh, take care. And um, we may, uh, there'll probably be another point in time in the future where we call again and say, hey, Chris, talk to us about this. But thanks for spending a little time with us today. Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. You betcha. Thanks again for joining us today on Shift Change. Our editing was done by Banning Dawson at Storied Studios, and our music was written and produced by Anthony Mako. You can find his podcast, Postmodern Liturgy, and his music on Spotify. You can find out more about me, my consulting work, and how to get a free hour of consulting at collisionleadership.com. My goal is simple, to help people find and live their best lives. All of us can find it. All of us can be leaders doing uncommon things when we are living our best. Visit us at collisionleadership.com and join us again next week on Shift Change.